<laughs> Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I am joined as always by the wonderful, the dear, Mr. Jason Neal Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen. Guilty. As charged. I'm going to throw you in the clink. I'm going to throw you in the clink. So guilty of that. I tell you, as you were busy there saying joined today, Mm. over this past weekend, we, Mm. we were people in the same vicinity, surrounded by many friends in the same vicinity. And that was quite a wonderful, the adjective used earlier, that was a wonderful occasion <laughs> to be together. It was an absolutely special time. You, your family coming up for my birthday celebration. For, for those that don't know, I am officially an, an, an old man. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've turned 50 as of the 6th of December. And uh, yeah, so many people flew out, drove up. Drove over. Yeah, hang, hanging out with Jess and Sweet Scott is is always a treat. The Nolans in from Chicago was remarkable. John Kay and his wife, mm-hmm. uh, Jay Cole and and his partner. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to speak out of school. Is is partner the correct descriptor there? That is correct. That's the dear partner. Katie. Yeah, Katie. She was she was lovely as well. Yeah. It was, and then of course your your bandmates. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I know you. I know you do a, a few tipples with them. The poor list from that night, just watching your bandmates. Like, is this stuff people drink? Is this? <laughs> yeah, that it's uh, honestly, it's stuff people covet. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting. <laughs> I, I love those guys so much, and uh, it's interesting. You you can definitely tell the bandmate friends. Mm-hmm. And the whiskey friends who are yeah. like, well, actually, uh, actually, this actually was released, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's right. I mean, they came into it with no context. It it kind of reminds me, I was having a conversation with someone about the Book of Mormon, the musical. Uh-huh. Checks out. And just, you know, I, I love it. It's, I think it's it's hilarious from beginning to end. And I thought that I got every joke. And this 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 woman that I know that grew up Mormon, she says, "Oh no no no, you don't fully get it all. If you grow up Mormon, you're missing half the jokes at least." So I kind of feel like my bandmates were the same. Like they like whiskey, they think they know it, but then there's us who know it a little more, just a little more. <laughs> I I don't want to put together an incomplete Joshua Hatton list, mm. but I I do want to call out because there, there's some that I've been thinking about over the course of the weekend and then again on my drive home mm. that was long and belabored in in <laughs> miserable conditions <laughs> and you ask yourself why am I doing this oh yes because it was a Joshua's 50th birthday celebration mm. and b there were some remarkable pours to be had but that that dimple uh, well, I keep calling it a dimple. I, I keep using the UK name. So the uh, Hague the dimple pinch. is one I, I discuss with my dad. And so this is the Hague pinch in America. But that being bottled 
somewhere around the 1950s mm -hmm. and having that incredible little spring-loaded cap <laughs> that is known to corrode. Yes. And to have that be in perfect condition yeah. and the, the whiskey contained therein, that, it was a real treat. It, I think one of the things we'd said around the table was it just... It, it, and it might be a bit of a tautology, and I apologize if it is, but it just simply didn't taste like modern whiskey. No, and 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 it's not to it's not to put it on a pedestal and say, oh, we had something that was bottled in the nineteen fifties, and this will never be topped. It was just a that it was just different, yeah. and it was a good different. It was I, I've thought about that one a, a fair bit. You know, the thing that surprised me the most about it, which you know. There were two things that surprised me. What you had just said, the fact that it is, it's unlike any other whiskey that we've tasted. It was just so unique. Is the fact that after 70 so years of it being bottled, yeah. it was bright and fresh yep. and engaging. Yep. There was no touch of that old bottle effect. It was just just wonderful. It, it, it surprised the heck out of me because I, I, I have a couple of those bottles and the first one that I opened, the because I inherited them, right? My my cousin's father-in-law passed away, and I was given bottles because I'm the whiskey guy in the family. And um, I opened one bottle maybe for my 45th, and, and the spring cap had 100% corroded, and that liquid was awful. Oh, and gosh. so I felt when we broke that out that it was either going to be awful or it was going to be... <laughs> Okay, and the fact that it was <laughs> remarkable, yeah, right, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, talk about being the right place, though. It is interesting because it the cap was so clean, and because the 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 liquid, the whiskey, was so bright and fresh. If that had come from an auction, I would have been a little worried about why is that spring cap so clean, yeah. and why yeah. is that you know, liquid that's been bottled in bottle for 70 years, so yeah. fresh to know that that came from within family mm -hmm. and was never on the open market, <laughs> was never bought and sold. I, I love that type of moment where you're like, oh no, this, this is the real deal. This is, this has been in the back of someone's cabinet for <laughs> decades upon decades. Yeah. That, that was, that was real special. Uh, one, one for you favorite pour as you think back you know i i'll answer that in a, well how do i answer that poorly don't give me an incomplete joshua hatton list no I'm not, just I'm don't not, do that i'm not going to do that here here's what i will say is i wish i wish that we opened the lagavulin 21 the 2007 release a bit earlier than oh, we had because within the context of everything else that was poured, it seemed less impactful. Oh, I'm so glad you bring this up because I completely disagree with you. Oh, good. So, okay. so for, for me, it was poured at the exact right time. And, and I remember sitting with it and nosing it and tasting it mm -hmm. and thinking, this is every bit as good as I remember it being. And and further than that, yeah. this remains the best thing. <laughs> Even in that night's company, 
it it showed its worth. Okay. And I was purposely being critical in, in the sense of being a critic. Mm. I was purposely being critical of it mm. to see if it did stand up and if it oh, did serve okay. memory. So, and it was a home run for me. So maybe maybe I maybe I took the wrong path. Maybe I decided to not be critical. And just mm. go into it saying, no, I, I know this one's my favorite. I know this is ah. the best. I just need to sit back and enjoy it rather than really analyzing it. Or yeah. analyzing it. So I, I will say the, the one that that stuck out the most, I had, jeez, uh, this is going to sound like I'm being so braggadocious. And I am. Um, <laughs> the one that <laughs> st- I had. I'm the- being so braggadocious on my own podcast. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm a 50-year-old white man with a podcast yeah. um, and a delicious whiskey story. <laughs> uh, I had the the two sister casts, the two green spring banks, 1973 yeah. Oh, yeah, distilled, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 1991 bottled. Yeah. You had the darker green and the lighter green, and I was expecting the darker of the two to be the one to win out, and it was the lighter of the two that I just found so complex and so engaging and herbaceous and spicy, yet, you know, floral in an odd way. And like, it was just, it was coming at me from every angle, um, yeah. yet balanced at the same time. Uh, I'm I'm smiling at you because if you want a foie, foie, foie moment, <laughs> it was Bonnie Nolan saying, you know, I really like each of these whiskeys, but I can't help but think a 50-50 of them would be amazing. And we got your permission yeah. to pour one glass of 50-50 and we passed it around the table. Mm-hmm. And to a person we went, oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's one thing to pull out the green spring banks, right? It's uh-huh. another thing to think the lighter was better than the darker. Yeah. I think it's another thing to then make a 50-50 of yeah. them. It's and go, oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Listen, delicious. It, it's still single malt. We didn't make a blend, <laughs> right? We just married two casks from the same distillery together, and it was remarkable. Like, yeah, the two kind of, yeah. It's so funny. It shows you how much we drank that night. I, I sort of forgot <laughs> that, that happened, but now returning to that memory, I remember saying like, oh yeah, like. Like you complete me. Each cask said to the yeah. other, "You complete yeah, me." Remarkable, yeah, remarkable, really <laughs> remarkable. Yeah, my, my, my wishful moment in looking back was I remember pouring the Comus four point two. Yeah, I don't remember tasting it, and I, and I'm glad that I didn't pour anything else after the Comus four yeah. two. Yeah. yeah, that that was my lost. moment yeah. where I was like, oh, the night. The night's over at this point. Mm-hmm. It's been incredible. And the Comus 4.2 is one of my absolute mm-hmm. longtime favorites. Mm-hmm. Not remembering tasting it is the, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm glad there weren't five more after that. We still had five unopened on, on the table. Yeah. The, oh, yeah. It was like, yeah. yeah. Been a good night. We've all had fun. Let's yep. not yep. continue the silliness. Yep. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me and making it so special and and those pores were i'll be thinking about them for a long time <laughs> it was uh that night was everything i wanted it to be 
and uh, yeah. and then the following night at, at Scottish Dave's, just <laughs> so that that night for me. So for those that don't know, we, Scottish Dave's in Clinton, Connecticut, just a fantastic proper Scottish bar, and two of my bands played there, and and two other bands Indeed. played, and and it was this moment in time where all of my worlds collided <laughs> from family to my oldest friends in the world to my my whiskey family to my friends family to my bandmates to like uh, just every corner of my life you know it was like that episode of Seinfeld where George is like you know worlds collide or you know something like that and and it, and it was just that and being able to play music for a whole series of people who'd never seen me or heard me play before was nice yeah yeah, yeah be before even getting to scottish daves i got a text from jess who yeah. was like chris reesbeck and charlie prince are here <laughs> <laughs> i was like are they wow and i got to hang out with them chat with them catch yeah. up with them yeah. like that that's what these types of celebrations are all about mm -hmm. bringing people together for a, a singular purpose and then Great catching up and, you know, drinking Bellhaven, you know, straight out of Glasgow and <laughs> chatting with, with Riesbeck and, and Charlie. It was, yeah. I was, it was really rocking and, and seeing you rock out on the stage and seeing you in your element uh, was tons of fun. Both of my boys loved it. Absolutely oh, loved so it. so glad to hear that. Uh, and Joe, Joe Nolan's wave. We were doing Joe Nolan's wave on the way home in the car. So <laughs> the boys are all over that. Um, oh, man. <laughs> So so happy birthday. That Thank was you. that was well done and and, and happy uh, belated birthday to Sweet Scott as well. We got Indeed. to enjoy uh, time with with him. Um in in the interest of of birthdays and and the time of year and and giving. Uh one of the things uh that we always uh we I, I'm I'm prone to do is is make off the cuff book recommendations and mm -hmm. and here we sit with some some Christmas buying or maybe it's a December birthday or maybe you're listening to this looking for Hanukkah inspiration or or, or other whatever the other maybe maybe you're in someone's house for drams and you want to take them a thank you gift mm -hmm. couple of recommendations and I know you're on board for at least one of these Joshua is I, I finally had a chance to to sit down with David Sturck's book, Independent Scotch, uh -huh. The History of Independent uh -huh. Bottlers, uh -huh. and, and read it cover to cover. And it, it's it been one of the first times for me reading a whiskey story, non-fiction non whiskey story, yeah. right? <laughs> a yeah. whiskey history yeah. where I lived through the exact years he's describing. <laughs> and... I know the people he's talking about, yeah. even when it comes to importers and distributors. And he's talking about particular whiskey fans and particular whiskey festivals. And he's talking about, you know, there, there being a lot of whiskey available and you can get some really advanced ages of it to whiskey started to get popular, which was great for sales, not necessarily good for cask buying. And, and things that he was saying about cask availability five years before you and I were saying yeah. the same things yeah. about cask availability. Mm -hmm. And and I think there's there's also something special when when you're able to read a text in the author's voice. And and I don't just mean that, you know, David's Yorkshire uh, accent or uh or, or anything of that nature, <laughs> but just his his worldview, his perspective. Yeah. Right. Knowing that so well and, and reading that through the text 
was was really fun as well. However, if you don't know David Sturck at all, if you've only heard of him from Ye Interwebs, um, it's it's a book well worth your time. Yeah, brilliant. And um, have you did you crack it? Have you have you thumbed it? I, st- you know my problem. I, I started thumbing it, and <laughs> and I only have time to read before bed, really. Oh, that's and, a tough one. And so what I've what I've started doing was any book I want to read, I just go straight to audiobook. So I so I own it, <laughs> uh, but I haven't I haven't listened to it. And, and to to be quite honest, I don't know if if it's even on. I mean, that's I was how I say, listen there's to an audio book of. Of David Starks? Well, you know, I did uh, By the Smoke and the Smell for, for Thad yeah, Vogler, and, and that was Absolutely. on there. So I'm checking right now. I'm checking right now. You can do it live. No, it's not on there. At least it's <laughs> no, not inaudible. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, well, here's another one for you to look up. So mm-hmm. in addition to David's book, uh, I'm, I'm giving full credit here, Octopus Books USA, mm-hmm. who published... Dave Broom's A Sense of Place ah, yes, yes, yes. sent me a copy of A Passion for Whiskey by Ian Wisniewski. I have that book as well. It just came in <laughs> like last week. So oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Brilliant. And you've read it. So, yeah, so I, I gave that a read yeah, as good. well. And, and that's that's an interesting one. It, Ian really writes as a... As an excitable whiskey fan, uh, a whiskey geek, right? Which, which is how you and I describe mm. ourselves mm-hmm. uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And so he he gets quite nerdy. And, and as I was reading it, there was parts of me thinking, would I recommend this book to, to listeners of One Nation Under Whiskey? And then I would get into parts where I would think, oh, yeah. Oh, this is right up the, the, the alleys, the streets. He gets nerdy on... Um, cut points he gets nerdy about yeast Uh, the types of conversations he's having with uh, isla producers specifically isla producers Mm -hmm. um really move towards the nerdy and 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 i think it's i think it's a good one what i particularly like is he has he goes through every isla distillery even the ones in project and so illy Gets a, a couple, maybe a few pages. Port Natruin gets yeah. a couple, maybe a few pages. Okay. And and the Port Natruin information comes from Sukinder Singh. Uh, you know, we've certainly oh, yeah. spoken to yeah, Ollie yeah, yeah. about yeah. Port Natruin, and so Ian's comes from Sukinder, which gives another perspective, mm-hmm. another layer there, uh, which is is really good and really worthwhile. And so so yeah, it's it's a good nerdy book the front cover is beautiful the artwork inside it while limited uh, is really pretty as well and uh, and i think it's a a great little book for the whiskey lover in your life as well so okay. there's there's a couple a couple that I absolutely stand by independent scotch by david stark and a passion for whiskey by ian wisniewski well i'll tell you the holidays are coming up and and so there'll be a, a bit of downtime uh, which is quite nice. So I think what I might do is actually take some quiet time during the day to, to read the Stirk book because you're not the only person. There are people who've reached out to me saying, I just read the, the David Stirk book. Single Cast Nation <laughs> is mentioned. Your name is mentioned specifically. I'm like, like, of course I have to read it. And so it's not an audiobook. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this 
not before bed, but actually to midday with a nice cup of tea, maybe a little cheeky wee pour on the side as well. Oh, and definitely a cheeky a wee pour. I'm sure there's a few David Stark bottles uh, on those shelves behind you. Well, I, I was part of the, the Kickstarter with it, and, and it came with an electric coup bottling is a, a north british from a from a sherry cask so so that's what i'll be pouring with it there you go that sounds yeah. perfect yeah. yeah fantastic all right so there you go i just wanted to get those mentioned because it is the type of <laughs> the type is the type of year no it is the time of year when invariably people reach out and say hey you got any recommendations that i could either you know get my partner or friends or what have you yeah. so yeah. there's there's a couple to get people going Beautiful. Um, but on to the on to the interview. Yeah, I, I, I want to get over to that really quickly. Before I do, I've got a question to ask you. So so here we are, we're speaking with the, or you're speaking with the Unmacht sisters. Indeed. indeed, indeed. And, you know, we've had multiple times, we've had guests return to the podcast. Usually mm-hmm. there's a year between, usually there's, or two years between. We're not even a year between these two conversations. Yep. And you said, I've, I've got to bring these two back. So, so give us a, a, a quick synopsis as to why, and then let's get into yeah. it. Yeah, when you and I kicked off 2023, uh, and then we kicked off year seven, we said we wanted to talk more agriculture. We wanted to talk more environment. Uh, we wanted to talk more about the production of grain that mm. ultimately becomes the whiskey that we mm. enjoy so much. And with the Onmac sisters, here we have almost the year in preview and the year in review, where yeah. <laughs> when, when we had them on and, and the episode had dropped on International Women's Day back in March, when we spoke to them in March... They were just starting their year, just getting ready to to put seed in the ground and look at fertilization plans and, and things like that. So mm. so it was it was just beginning. And and they talked about some of the concerns that they had coming into the year. They thought they were facing drought conditions yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. based on what they saw last year. Without saying too much, since listeners should go into the interview, they had a pretty difficult summer a pretty Mm. difficult growing year Mm. but not for the reasons they expected Mm. and so we do get into the conversation a little bit um how do you do what you do when mother nature is one part of this Mm. and mother nature is becoming more unpredictable and more difficult to plan around. And so I, I threw in the towel on agriculture at one point in the interview. I was like, well, this isn't for me. This is never going to work. <laughs> but the fact that they continue to return to it and they see ways forward uh, was really telling. One other aspect of the conversation uh, that, we, that we got into is new research surrounding regenerative farming. Yeah. And and there's actually a counterpoint made in this interview to the interview we had posted back in March. Yeah. And 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 that was that was really telling as well. Like these these women are on the ground. They are learning day in and day out. They are adding 
more information and gaining new knowledge all the time. Mm. They're not stuck in their ways. They're not digging in their heels. They're embracing new ways to be successful and new ways that serve the environment and serve agriculture and serve the production of grain and serve distillers Mm -hmm. and serve Mm -hmm. consumers like us. And I I applaud them. I was really excited. I I do say in the very beginning of the interview um, that Felicia had actually reached out over email uh, maybe in October and said, hey, we had a blast talking with you uh, in, in the early part of the year. What would you think about us coming back on with an update? Yeah. And I, brilliant, yeah, absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Let's press ahead with that. And that's what we did. And so easy conversation with them. We talked agriculture. We talked the Whiskey Sisters supply side of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about whether they would ever want to get into malting or not. Uh, you can you can listen to how they answer that question, but they're they're really cracking. And then we talked about twenty twenty four as well, um, and that's really fitting, given the twenty twenty three that they experienced. So. There you go. Okay, well let's let's leave it there and take it on to you and the Unmucked Sisters. Welcome back to the podcast to the Onmax Sisters. Felicia, welcome back. Hi. Stephanie, welcome back. Lovely to see you both. Hello, hello. It's good oh, to see you too. How have you both been? It's been good. Lots of things lots of things have been going on and we can't wait to fill you guys in on. <laughs> Long time, no speak. <laughs> so which is not a thing we say anymore. Um we we had the privilege of your company, season seven, which is this season episode two the episode dropped on international women's day on march 8 and we delivered a fantastic conversation unto the listeners of one nation under whiskey and i am so excited felicia that you wrote to me maybe a month or so ago i I can't quite remember how time works and and you said would you like an update on how the year went and i said Yes, that would be absolutely fantastic. And we made a schedule and here we are and today's the day. Yep. It'll be exciting to tell you guys what's up. So so before we get to the year, can you remind our, our listeners where you are? Uh, you're on the, the Gergen farm. You, yep. you farm the Gergen farm. Um, can you remind us where that is and, and kind of how that mm-hmm. looks for you all? So Stephanie and I kind of wear, just also to kind of give everyone an update, Stephanie and I wear two hats. Um, we manage Gergen Farms, and then we have the company Whiskey Sister Supply, um, which was designed to help support our family farm, which is in eastern Colorado, specifically Burlington. And uh, it is really close to Kansas. So we are growing in the high desert, and it's been great. And I can't, you know, we've got a lot to discuss around how what we're doing for the year and what we're looking at for next year, as well as, um, you know, how this year went regarding weather and what we experienced. So you say Colorado and you say high desert, obviously for, for people around the world, Colorado is the home of Rocky mountains. How does, how does that look for where you're situated uh, in the state? 
So we're so far away from the mountains. The, yeah, yeah, go for it, Steph. So we're on the eastern side of Colorado. So right on the Colorado-Kansas border. But at the High Plains level, there's a good half of the state that can't see the, the mountains. So it's pretty shocking. It's flatlands. There's a few trees. But you can't see a tip of a mountain until you go about an hour west. That is remarkable. It really goes to show the the size of this country and the scale of this country that you can be in a state that is known for literally the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. And yet you're an hour and a half drive before you start to see the tip of any mountain. Yeah. And that's Pikes Peak. And so if you're lucky and it has to be a really clear day to be able to even see the tip of Pikes Peak. So we're about two hours um, from Metro Denver and where you obviously can see a lot of mountains. So it's in the high desert means that we are at a higher elevation. We're around a mile above sea level, so 5,200 and some odd feet. And we're dry. We're really, really dry, typically. So and that, and <laughs> that's where, the, that's, that's where the, the <laughs> update comes in. So, so when we spoke previously in the mm-hmm. spring of the year, you know, end of February, beginning of March, we were talking about drought and we were talking about water access mm-hmm. and we were talking about the worries that you had for, for Gurgan Farm growing there. Yeah. And what kind of season did you end up having? So um, we are in a super El Nino. Um, we're going to have another one this upcoming year as well. And so what that means is that we get a lot more moisture and we get a lot of it really fast sometimes. Um, we okay. had a lot of snow this year and our dad, who's, you know, old time farmer was like, so we're going to have a really wet summer. If we have a really wet winter, we're going to have a really wet summer, which means bigger weather events. So bigger thunderstorms, potentially more damaging with hail, tornadoes, wind, etc. So okay. I kept being like, yeah, sure, dad. Okay. <laughs> um, I was schooled this year by mother nature. Anyways, um, so basically between May and the end of July, we receive seven inches of rain. Um, typically, we only receive, receive in the entire year 10 to 14 inches. So Whoa. there was a lot of moisture and rain that came in, which was a blessing and lovely and awesome. And we did not have to run yeah. our sprinklers and we could conserve water that way. But it came with what our father was expecting. Uh, and it took us some time to get some of our crops in the field too. Cause we, so in the winter we had already planted wheat and rye. When we talked to you guys, those were already in the field. We plant those in September, okay. October corn goes in. How, how close to harvest at that point? Harvest. When we spoke, we would have been out of no harvest. We were in the middle of nothing at that point. So harvest for <laughs> uh, wheat and rye happened in July and harvest for corn oh, wow. happens in October, November. Wow! Even from even from winter planting. Yeah, it's because oh of gosh. it's just our okay, climate. That's a much longer season. Yeah, it's okay. it's unlike you know everything south of us. They'll plant more in the spring and still be able to harvest it. And their spring is earlier, right? When I think of spring, I think of March, April, May. They're thinking <laughs> spring is like February, right? It's just. Um, yeah. a different climate. We can get a snow. We can still get snow until the end of April. Yeah. Wow. So and nothing really comes out. It doesn't really start to come back alive. Mm-hmm. And a good snow at that point? Oh, we've had a good snow in May. Mother's Day weekend. Mother's yeah. Day weekend is like our freeze date, our last freeze date, typically. Okay. 
Which is true for us in uh, in Virginia here in Northern oh, yeah. Virginia. Yeah, so you're probably a similar yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So corn goes in in April. Um, we we put in kidney beans this year as well. A couple of circles of kidney beans for diversification. Not everything for us goes to whiskey at this point. We look forward <laughs> to the day that everything does. But um, until then, um, it's diversification for the farm. And yeah, so we everything was going great, and um, June thirtieth hit. So uh-huh. we woke up the morning of June thirtieth, and the rye and the weeds beautiful, and the corn is up to chest high, or you know, just everything's amazing. And we watched my parents watched a storm roll in, and it was a twenty mile wide storm. I feel like my our dad said it was one hundred and fifty miles long, Holy and moly. it destroyed everything in its path um we got uh golf ball so the the storm literally hit where our homestead is and i'm i'm showing this to jason but our homestead (laughs) is like kind of in the middle and it the storm hit all north of the homestead and then the field south which are only five fields south of it everything north was completely destroyed so chest high corn was destroyed down to five inches stubs oh my gosh and it just it wiped out everything in that whole 20 mile 150 mile and um yeah it saved a lot of the whiskey product. (laughs) (laughs) The whiskey corn was saved. Let me breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> and, and so so you're saying maybe half half the harvest was lost or half the crop was lost? Half the crop was lost. What, what kind of quantity are we talking there? Oh, oh Lord. <laughs> um, Is it best not to say these numbers out loud? Like so, or or just, just size of field or, you know, so number the, of fields? So four, it was... We, we have 11, so six, it was it ended up being six circles of crop and 400 acres of dry land, all gone. And this, and so that circle is 120 acres. Oh my gosh. 400 acres Just of, of, of dry of, land. Of dry land. Dry land. That's not that even doesn't a even a pivot. Circle. Yeah, that's. So a pivot for everybody um, and in different parts of the world irrigate completely different it just depends on your region people do flood irrigating um but there for us because we pull and we pull out of the ogallala aquifer i think we talked about last time we have these pivots Mm -hmm. and when you're flying over the united states if you look down you'll see big circles that Mm -hmm. is when i say a circle ours are 120 acres in those circles sometimes the circles are bigger sometimes they're larger but for us they're 120 acres and there's a sprinkler that plops down right in the middle. It's called the pivot. And it just goes around in a circle watering. So uh-huh. I had mm-hmm. six, we had 620 acre circles gone. No more. <laughs> Over. Oh my gosh. And it's six, six <laughs> times 120 mm-hmm. acres, not even 620 acres. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. Six times 120. This is mind boggling. That yeah. sounds... That sounds like a disaster. It's a disaster. And 
our um, grandmother, Rosemary, used to always say, this is why you have insurance. So we definitely uh, had insurance, which was good. It's, you know, it keeps you, okay. keeps the farm afloat. But how okay. do we pivot? So at that point, you're, you know, Gergen Farms hat, like, okay, we have insurance. Hopefully we survive. We replanted one of the kidney bean circles because we had time. Um, but the rest of it was gone. So Gergen Farms, I'm going lots of cuss words, right? Take that hat off. <laughs> I'm literally taking videos in the field with Seth being like, what do we do? Whiskey Sisters hat comes on. What yeah. do we do? Oh my gosh. So, you know, Steph, I don't know if you want to so talk to that. A big lesson. That was a big lesson <clears throat> in diversification geographically. Mm -hmm. And we thought we were brilliant because we'd already signed some agreements with farmers an hour north mm -hmm. of us in case something like this would happen because oh, okay. we only have, even though we have 11 circles, it's still not enough to meet all the diversification of the crops we're growing. Wow. So we need X amount of rye, we need X amount of corn, we need X amount of wheat, but you can't put, typically you don't put the same crop on the same circle year after year because every crop takes a different nutrients and deposits different nutrients back into the soil. Sure. So you rotate all those crops. So when you need X amount of circles of rye and X amount of corn for your distilleries, you do still need to kind of diversify outside to make sure you've got it covered. So we thought we were good. Oh. And even the farmers an hour north of us were part of the same storm. Mm -hmm. An hour? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that speaks to the size of what came through. Yeah. Did... Uh, this is this is a real naive question from a, a city slicker, but do you do you look at that half that's gone and then once again pivot to that half that's there and say, how the hell did this half survive? Right. It it seems like you had a disaster on your hands that could have been twice as much a disaster as it was. Do you do you have that in the moment, or are you still looking at the half that's no more? Yeah, well, for me, I think I had some tears. <laughs> Stephanie and I wow. talked to each other like, what the F are we doing with our lives? Oh. Um, <laughs> going and working corporate just seems so much easier right now. And um, <laughs> yeah, you question your life decisions. But you, like all farmers... If you are called to do this, um, and you feel like you're meant to do this, you pivot. Like you just, you think, you know, my, our mom, I think we talked about this last time. They're very Catholic. Mom was lighting <laughs> candles and praying and being thankful for what we have. And we, you know, kind of followed suit and did the same and, and you pivot and you just make it work. Well, and one thing is we grew up. This wasn't the first time we've been no. hailed out. It was the first time since we've had the the, the uh, grain to distillery business running. But okay. we grew up with these storms happening. So okay, you wake up the next morning, you put your boots on, and you go and you fix it, or you solve for it, or yeah. you make the next best decision that you can make given the situation you're in. I think Ed Flish and I started this without that background, mm -hmm. and then trying to do a farm in our 40s, and then being like, well, that was stupid. I guess that's the last time we ever do that. <laughs> I could be in a different position. But you just wake up and you figure it out and you, you 
you just go forward. Oh my gosh. Uh, but j- just for the benefit of our listeners, and, and if you don't mind the question, you get to say that's what we've got insurance for, but is insurance covering your bare minimum losses? Insurance isn't giving you a profitable year, yeah. I assume. It just allows you to keep going into the next year. Am I am I thinking of that correctly? Yeah. And you, we also experienced it because it happened so early in the season. You know, it happened in June. We had just laid down a six-figure amount in fertilizer, if I remember right. <laughs> oh, like three days before. Um, <sighs> but it... Laid it down into the yeah, soil. We yeah. sprayed some fertilizer. Anywho, um, it covers. But then you have to remember, you don't have inputs after that. So I'm not paying for the electricity for those sprinklers, the water coming out. I'm not paying for, oh, okay. um, you know, if we get bugs okay. or I'm not paying for paying for harvest, right? The harvest crew to come in. So you, you, your inputs go significant, obviously go away unless you choose to yeah. replant. Yeah. Um, so that helps. That helps the bottom line. But it hurt because given all the rain we'd received up to that point, we didn't have to use the sprinklers, you know, we'd been able to just let mother nature take care of it. And it was the, the rye and the wheat was tall. It was oh, lush. So it was going to be, you know, record year oh. in terms of what we were going to make. And then it wasn't <laughs> the record year anymore. <laughs> it's a record year do, in something. Do, do you, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you talk about that. You just get up the next day and you put on your boots and you go out to the fields do you do you allow yourself a mourning period? Is there still a bit oh, of did. you in mourning? Oh, I totally have. <laughs> I mean, we're still dealing yeah. with uh, pivoting and trying to get rye sourced within the state of Colorado and having conversations with clients that are like, you know, we have this that, you know, we had the one circle of rye. We have this in Colorado. This is all we got. You know, there's some other clients that are larger that we had to be like, so... Yeah, I can get it for you regionally. So how much does it matter that it comes from the state of Colorado? Wow. And they had to also have a moment, right, to figure out, is it okay? And, you know, made the decisions that they made. So it's, yeah, it was was quite the year. And one thing about the grieving period after the hail hits, you go out the next, you go out that night if you can, or you go out the next morning and there's a chance that it will recover. Especially ah, the corn. Yeah. Okay. The corn was maybe young enough. Paul so and Norbert get, were like, well, maybe. <laughs> so then you're like, let's wait a week. Let's wait two weeks. Let's see if the plant, no, of course the wheat and rye were gone because we were a couple of weeks from harvest, but the corn, will it, will it turn around? Did it, did it, did the hail, yes, it may be short, but did it get the the like the brains of the plant? Did that get damaged or can it recover? Oh, okay. And so there was a lot of, there was a good period of time where we're waiting to see if the plant recovered or not. So it's not like, oh, it's done because you have experts come out, agronomists, and they're like, well, that, that may not be too bad. There's a chance that may. And then you have to debate, we got to hurry up and plow that under to put another crop in, or do we hope? It wasn't damaged as bad as it looked. Yeah. And we we go from there. Did you have any successes coming out of that deliberation? It, it all got destroyed. <laughs> so no. 
<laughs> there was hope. I'm such a hopeful person. And I was out there like with Paulette, our mom, um, looking at it. And it, you can see like bruising on the, the stand of the oh cornstalk at the very bottom. And you're like, yeah. Oh. And if, if it, we were to keep growing it, a, winds, a wind event is going to come and just knock it straight down. So yeah, I think you're just kind of, you're, you're stuck and, you know, I always say farmers are on a hero's journey every year <clears throat> Yeah, and they figure it out every single year. We had a friend that was 10 miles west of us that got hailed out three different times this year. He first time hail out, he was like, I'm going to go replant because it was still time that you could replant oh corn gosh. and do a short season corn. It got up to knee high, <sighs> got hailed out. And then he had, I don't think he had done anything. He was probably getting in the, no, he still had some corn. He may have still had a few areas of corn that hadn't gotten hailed out. Well, they got hailed out and then in August. Like the guy just got completely wiped over three different times this year. And so, <laughs> so you, you question your life decisions there, as a farmer. And, but the thing is, there, is there's, I, there's... he'll give back up tomorrow. And you know, like I, I five bucks, the guy has wheat planted this year. It already is in. Because goodness knows what the future looks like. Yeah. That's remarkable. It, it's so <clears throat> it's so interesting to me that there are multiple half full, half empty glasses in play here. Like I'm reeling from you losing half your crop <laughs> and asking you, well, what about the other half? And Stephanie's talking about it might rebound if we cross our fingers hard enough and light enough candles, you know, but, and then over here, you've 10 miles away, you've got a farmer hailed out three times. Mm -hmm. It gets up every day. Like, so you didn't get hailed out an additional two times. No. That's so, good. <laughs> Look at that. We're winning. <laughs> so, you sit there I'm and you're like, has anyone checked on him? Like after the third time I was like, okay, He's got friends that are walking over and knocking on his door, right? Being like, you yeah, okay? Let's hear some whiskey. whiskey <laughs> Let's sit down. Wow. I know it's 10 o'clock in the morning, but I think we need to sit down <laughs> and have a little blast. Wow. I, I, I also do like hearing from you both that, that when it hits, you, you have that moment of hope. You also have that moment of putting on your boots. But then you're immediately saying, okay, what do we do with this? Where do we go? If, if you've got people in need of supply, how do we get supply? Let's get on the phones. Yeah. Like, the fact there's something to be done doesn't make up for what you've just lost and the, mm -hmm. the heartache of all of that. But having a project to throw yourselves into and still see successes, it sounds very human and, and how we exist as humans <laughs> when the world just keeps slapping us yeah. down. Like, I, I kind of wanted to hide in bed a few times. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get out today. But, you know, I hear Paulette's voice in my head. You got to get up and keep going. It'll turn around. Okay. <laughs> uh, she would love to know you're quoting her in your head. <laughs> oh, she's going to listen to this and your... die laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you know your mom has won at that point when she's in your head. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so so please on on the I I love that little story you're starting to tease out there where you're making a call to somebody who whiskey sisters are supplying to say look this this mother nature here has gone in a different direction what did it end up looking like for whiskey sisters supply across the board Stephanie well 
because really this harvest, what we just missed in harvest will supply us all the way to starting to July next year. So we have, oh, wow. really, we're digging in and supporting um, and reaching out to our network of farmers. And one thing that has been helpful is we've, Flush has really dug into uh, the regenerative farming programs. And in that, we're finding, you know, more and more farmers that are geographically dispersed away from, from uh, our area, which um, is helping us find outlets to find other grains that are also being grown with the same kind of mindset where we are at, which is healthy soils, great water management, and um, fertilizer management. So I don't know, Flush, if you want to share a little bit about what you've mm-hmm. learned on the re- on the regen side and where that what that means for Colorado farmers versus farmers mm-hmm. in other parts of the country. So last time we talked, we were unsure that would even work. And I had talked to, you know, people that were farming our land, not just our farming partner, but other people that had been around our area and, and know our soils um, specific too, because soils change within even just small geographic regions. And they were like, yeah, that's going to steal your water. So, you know, I kept this, this particular company kept coming up in multiple conversations with um, different areas. It was kind of like this universal, like, you need to hone in on this. Um, The owner of it, his name is Gabe Brown. So if anyone wants to look at it from, you know, any of your readers uh, or listeners, I mean, Look up Gabe Brown. He has a really cool story. Um, almost lost his farm about 20 years ago and was trying to save it and, and totally changed up how he was farming. And he's big ag. You can consider us big ag a little bit. And Where was he? He's in North Dakota. So similar okay. kind of environment, similar water. Um, they may get a few more inches a year than we do typically. But has a good idea on what can happen. And he kind of went his own direction with regenerative and his kind of perspectives in looking at it from a, a larger acreage perspective. Um, We sat just like two weeks ago, we sat with one of their agronomists and with my farming partner who I drug to this meeting. He was like, I don't think so. (laughs) I'm like, just get on the call. (laughs) And he walked away with, Oh, I think we can do this. So what nice. they're learning, there's all this new science. So our farming partner went to Colorado State University. He learned about agronomy through all of his time. You know, he's been farming for 25 years. And it's always been said, you can't have cover crops in our area because it's going to steal the moisture away. So what they're learning and the studies that they're finding, and I think some of this is through the Land Institute in Kansas, is it comes back to not necessarily the crop, the cover crops, you know, taking up water because it needs to grow. It You end up saving water with the canopy of the crop. So, you know, mm. corn, they call it the canopy, those big leaves. That's all canopy. Yeah. And yep. so when the yep. cover crop's tiny, you have, a, you have this canopy over it, and it helps reduce evaporation out of the soil. Um, what they're finding is it actually, it does keep moisture in when you have a canopy, us being no-till was already like, he's like, I, I didn't have to convince you to know no-till. That's amazing because most farmers are like, I'm not no-tilling because you're, yeah. you need, you know, they think that they have to um, prepare the soil for planting. And, and they're finding that, no, you don't, and you don't have to at all. Yeah. 
So we no-till, but it's not leaving the stalks out there from the previous harvest isn't enough to keep the moisture in. Mm -hmm. So planting a cover crop, that canopy will help keep the moisture in. And plus, the we we don't have the same amount of organic matter in our soils like Iowa or Kentucky or where you're at in Virginia. You guys just have a lot of organic matter, so it holds yeah. all that moisture a lot easier. Over time, those roots, you know, as you're continuing the, you know, that's going in some way and, and breaking down, those roots are creating more organic matter, which then in turn holds the moisture. So we are actually doing a lot of learning about it. Our farming partners go into a special conference in Wichita in January to learn even more. And I'm hoping that we are <clears throat> going to be, so the same guy created this regenerative certification process called Regen. Maker's Mark is using it. So for a bigger name to understand, like Maker's Mark is actually Regen certified to level two. It goes up to level five. And we're going to hopefully have some regen certification possibly starting in the fall. We've got to take the next months to figure out what we're doing, but it really involves a reduction of nitrogen and a reduction of phosphorus and then the introduction uh, of cover okay. crops and using some cattle. I don't want to have, um, I don't want to be growing my own cattle we've got enough going on with whiskey sisters. Like <laughs> I don't need to throw livestock into the mix, but we, in talking to them, there's ways around that and ways to figure that out and working with other people just to graze it. Cause you, it's really important to have cattle. Um, they leave their poop and, you know, stomp around on things and mix things up and whatever. But yeah, so we're hoping to do have a plan of how we're going to do it by um, fall at the Gergen farms. And then, so yep. Just very quickly, when we were talking previously, you had talked about leaving up the corn but not having need for the, the cover crop mm -hmm. as a nitrogen fixer because you had enough nitrogen, mm -hmm. you had enough fertilizer in your soil. You had talked previously about cattle coming through and excrement yeah. and obviously clumping it up with their, their hooves and all that malarkey. Um, it's interesting in listening to you about the need for the canopy um, I, I may have mentioned it in our, our last interview as well, but we have a small residential vegetable garden and, and my wife farms. And, and for the last couple of years, we've used the three sisters method, yeah. Native American, right? And so you plant your corn first, it grows, has broad leaves, you plant your beans, mm -hmm. your beans come in behind, use the corn yep. as a climber. And then once your beans are established, you bring in your squash and then your squash gets to grow because it's protected by the two yeah. layers above it. It's it's so wonderful to hear, you know, indigenous techniques that we mm -hmm. circle back around yeah. to. And there's a way it works and a, and a reason that it was the practice. And in, as Europeans, I feel like we came over to this country and said, nope, none of that. Uh, this is how we do it. We colonized the hell out of it. Yeah. There um, you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we're, like I said, we're, we want to be good stewards and this is just one of the ways. And we hope, you know, as we learn more and more that we just continue to become better and you know, we start small, you know, no farmer is going to want to do the whole farm right away because it may not work. So, you know, we choose whatever circles and then we kind of go from there. So, 
So what does that look like as as experimentation? You've got suppliers who are getting phone calls from you and you say, sorry, didn't work out. But you've also got phone calls that you're having with people who say, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in, or maybe you lead the conversation, right? Would you be interested in trying X, Y, and Z? How easily does experimentation fit into what's already an incredibly difficult business? It's really hard, especially when you have 128, you know, 120 acre circle, you don't have something small to experiment with. Um, yeah. We are thankfully getting to experiment with different varieties of rye. So we can do, you know, not only are we experimenting with regenerative and we'll do like three circles and see what happens. That's pretty, that is definitely doable. Um, and then we start to experiment with different varieties too. When we keep hearing the word regenerative, mm -hmm. is this, is this a new word for organic? Is this a different word than organic? Is this a different process than organic? Is this a different process than, than anything else? I, I haven't heard regenerative before, but we're talking about things that, that we have talked about before. Do you, is there a, a an avoidance of organic because of you know some of the forms that that's taken? Is this just kind of a stewardship model for land? Um, do, do you have any any sense of that? That's a really good question. I see it as, I think, your last statement of it's a stewardship model. Or get, going organic is a humongous process, and the market for it is very small, right? You mm -hmm. have to be a certain demographic to be able to afford such things. Or, sure, sure. Right? Or you're really making it a priority in your budget to be able to handle because it's just going to be more expensive because it's more expensive to do. Um, now organic doesn't mean lack of fertilizer or lack of fertilizer, lack of pesticides. It's just different. Okay. And those can be more expensive for the grower to buy. Therefore your product's more expensive and it doesn't yield as well. So regenerative, um, it's, it's, it's a stewardship. It's helping keep our soils where they need to be. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's trying to bring them back from maybe, it, you know, some people would be like, you, we've stripped our soils of all things nutrients, right? I don't 100% believe that, but you will hear that in a regenerative kind of world. We've stripped everything. Um, yeah. I think farmers have worked really hard to be good stewards this entire time. And have we maybe stripped some of it? maybe depending on the farmer and sure. the farmer practice but i think in general people have worked really hard to keep things good this just makes an additional um way of doing things making it better and not so reliant on the fertilizer industry which fertilizer companies are going <laughs> to hate to hear this <laughs> uh herod loud and clear well but we saw <clears throat> when we were dealing with the war in Ukraine and Russia, mm -hmm. we still are, but the fertilizer prices mm -hmm. went through the roof because that's where a lot of it's produced. And so, again, grain prices went up as mm -hmm. well with that, but it hurt the farmers, even though there were high grain really prices. High really high inputs that year. It was awful. I'm, I'm seeing about half my input costs outside of us getting hailed out. Um, input costs for certain items are half of what they were when the war started so input costs are half so 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 like to uh, my ear that sounds like 
good news, but yeah. I doubt it can be good news because you're in agriculture. This yeah. is good news? No, it, it's good news. But at the same time, you know, we were dealing with $7 corn, sometimes $8 corn because people were playing the market because they were so scared of what was happening over there. And then uh, now that that's settled out, so we're half of our fertilizer market, but then the, the price of corn is $5.10 a bushel compared to 8 two years ago. So we're at the mercy of yeah. people playing the market or global <laughs> happenings. I was actually, when this, in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas went on, I was like, what's going to go on with the markets? And I was shocked that thing, I mean, it, it dropped. It, <laughs> we were down to like $4.85, $4.50 at one point. The, the price of your corn dropped mm -hmm. again? Again. Oh my gosh, dude. Does it... Go on, Stephanie. And the cost, and Flesha, you, you probably looked at the latest analysis on this. It's about five dollars mm -hmm. to grow, produce a bushel of corn. <laughs> Jason hangs head. So yeah, we're back oh underwater. If we're gosh. using traditional markets, right? So when you drink your whiskey, you know, yes, yes, you want your your inexpensive. You, you know, inflation is awful right now. The cost of groceries is ridiculous. Yes. The, we all know the whiskey in the bourbon market is not doing well because of, you know, all the things. But know that that – can you start drinking again? Because it's affecting our farmers. <laughs> and that's awful. Like, be sober if that's what you need to do. But it is affecting downstream our agriculture. Yeah. Which is one of those things, Josh and I just put out an episode where we each picked five American spirits. Mm -hmm. And and one of the ones for me is uh, the Heaven Hill seven-year-old bottled and bond. Yeah. And I, I won't belabor the point, our listeners know this mm -hmm. very well, but it used to be a six-year-old bottled and bond available in Kentucky that was $15 a bottle, one five dollars a bottle. And it went off the market. They are both, both on my sisters are making a face. I'm sitting here like, mind blowing. What is happening right now? <laughs> How are those farmers and, making it? Right, right. And so that bottle got discontinued maybe 2017. Okay. Um, and then it went away for a year and it came back as a, a seven-year-old. And it was $40 a bottle, $4.0. And as a consumer, a lot of us, myself included, went... You just went from 15 to 40. Mm. Like, no, I'm not doing that. And the reason I'm telling you this today is in our episode of picking selections, mm. we said $15 was too cheap for that. Mm. That, sh that was an artificially deflated price for a bottle of whiskey. Yep. We should yep. be paying meaningful amounts of money four bottles of whiskey mm -hmm. and so we also had a you know a black button on there that might come in more like 70 75 yeah. 80 dollars a bottle we had westland on there you know 100 percent malted barley that might come in around 70 dollars a mm -hmm. bottle right you, you to your point felicia there are people behind every step of this there are people distilling this and warehousing this there are people mashing this there are people growing this and harvesting this we need to remember that there are people in every single part of this and as much as the environment is hugely important and i've had you know pleasure discussing that with you uh in cross two interviews the people are hugely important yeah. as well and we need to support all the people in there yeah, no, I completely agree. And farmers are doing whatever they can to 
take care of things and, and then survive on top of it. You can't lose the farm in order to save the, this is going to sound awful. <laughs> you have to balance, you know, being the yeah, best right. steward and right. not losing the farm at the same time. And that's where I wondered if that's where we're going with maybe the word regenerative mm -hmm. instead of the word organic. Or organic can sometimes sound a little holier than thou. Yeah. Um, whereas, I, you know, as someone who tries to buy organic mm -hmm. when he can and is vegetarian and has a, you know, suburban vegetable garden, mm -hmm. like I, I'm as crunchy as they come. I still understand there are demands being placed upon farmers that we can't be jejun, we can't be naive about what it takes to, to bring the food to our table, nor at the same time can we destroy the land yeah. in the name of bringing food to our table. Yeah. Neither one of those, you know, but dichotomies are bad. We, I think we're coming to realise that. It's um, a both, it's a both and all... situation. So how do you do both and continue to keep... Because you, you, we all don't want humongous um, companies buying all the land. I mean, China's coming yeah. over yeah. to buy land. Yeah. I think there's some legislation around that now where they can't do that. But big corporate, there's a big, two big corporations just sold a bunch of land in Burlington for whatever reason. I'm not sure, but they just sold a bunch of land. And so, which is oh. fine because local farmers, some local farmers bought it. There's a huge company out of Connecticut, investment company that bought a bunch of it. Oh, right, right. So, oh. okay. I completely understand from the investment perspective. I bet you're making great money. Well, there's only so much land in, in the world. And so, yeah. You know, as the population grows, land is king. So, so, so it makes sense, but it's harder for the small farmers to, to beat out big corporations when it comes to buying land and growing your business. Well, and on that very front, given the circles that the two of you move in, do you feel like. And, and maybe we're preaching to the choir, maybe we're always talking to the same type of person. But are you, are you feeling like more farmers want to have this conversation about regenerative... I have such a hard time saying that word. Uh, about regenerative growth. Um, or, or is it, uh, listen, this business is difficult enough. I'm just going to keep my head down and do it the way we've been doing it and hope that next year is better than this year. What does that sound like for you when you're out and about and, and having conversations? I think they're curious, but they're going to wait for another farmer to do it first. Ah, um, it's, it's a, it's it's a, a risk. risk. Yeah. Because they are, yeah. I mean, in regenerative, you talk about your bushels decreasing, but then your inputs decrease. So you kind of supposedly come out yeah. even in the end. Um. Yeah. I mean, they're all willing to, <laughs> but it can't be hard, right? And it can't be snake oil. Yes. You can't be trying to sell me yes. some new fangled fertilizer way of doing things. It has, like, that was the, our, our farming partners, the first thing was like, if they're trying to sell me some new chemical or whatever, he's like, I'm out. Yeah. And that's yeah. An, they weren't. They were just like, this is what it looks like. And he was like, I'm there for it. Wow. And hopefully, right? We will have the data, right? We will know what the soil looked like and what, how we produced in our conventional. When we weren't 100% conventional, I mean, we weren't tilling and stuff, yeah. but where we started. And then, again, we'll see even where one year takes us or two years in terms of what does the soil look like? What's our, 
yield look like at the mm-hmm. harvest? And so we'll start to have data to prove out how this looks and where it's going and is it worth it? Well, but, and then to bring it back to whiskey, <laughs> right? Let's let's start heading down the whiskey path. How is this going to affect the grain, right? Because grain's just not grain. Exactly, yeah. I'm, I will exactly. die on the hill that grain is just not grain. <laughs> I may, yeah, may burn me on the stake there, but that's where I'm going. And... <laughs> How if when we start putting these in the play, right, we know nitrogen affects flavor, we know and proteins, so nitrogen affects protein, proteins affects flavor, it also affects uh, affects how it's it is in the still, like, are you going to have problems with it boiling over, all the things, Um, your yields, are they not going to be able to, you know, put it down as many barrels because of proteins, but there's all these other bits of data that we're learning about that there's some stuff that I learned about yesterday that will start to go into play and how it affects for the whiskey industry. It's not just going to cattle or downstream to some food source. This Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. how is this grown Mm -hmm. for the whiskey industry and what will a regenerative do for that grain for the whiskey industry? And I don't know. What did you learn yesterday? (laughs) What did I learn yesterday? (laughs) So in other areas of the country have to have to think about this, but because we're so dry, typically never been a problem. Um, it's, okay. it's pre-germination. So when you have a, when you're in a more moist area, such as like Kentucky, Maryland, Iowa, um, it's just something you would have to think about. It's a uh, pre-germ. So the crop is still in the field if there's a lot of moisture and the plant has died and we can't get in there to harvest it for whatever reason, that grain will start to pre-germinate. So for a malting perspective, the malsters are going to be like, it's already germinating. I can't use it. It has to be a certain level, you know, alive. The grain has to be alive, but not actually working on anything. So it becomes a problem for malting. And then we're not sure if it's going to become in the rye a problem for distilling, like just raw. There's a lot of studies around barley around this particular test. Lots of studies. Barley's test, Scotland, I'm sure, has tested all the things (laughs) around barley, right? But here, because they've considered rye is just rye and wheat is just wheat, you know, maybe not in small distilleries, but in general, the industry, these items haven't been studied. So we don't know if this is going to be a long-term problem in the still. Is this going to be an issue? It may not be an issue at all, but they may see potentially some starch conversion issues in the the still. They may not. There's just not a lot of information. We know that the rye starches and sugars are different than the barley starches and sugars. So Will there be a problem? Because we've only ever studied barley. We don't know. So Hmm. I want, you know, I have a dream and I've told Steph this dream a while back. I want to, I want to do more studying around rye, I think, or even wheat, just other grains that go into the distilling world. I think we can learn a lot more information. So all distilleries can be a lot more efficient in how they use the grain. Which sets me up for a (laughs) two-parter with Stephanie. Which which starts with you, Felicia. So in our last interview, you, Felicia, were talking about far north spirits rye study. 
and and then maybe a series of ryes that yeah. you tasted through new make they tasted new, through new making there were obviously differences uh, between them yeah. in our last interview in our last conversation we we talked about terroir a little bit yeah. and kind of the value of this and, and one of the things we kind of got into was from that grain all the way to that finished distilled matured spirit mm-hmm. The farther you got away from the grain, the, the farther you got away from that unique flavor of yeah. that grain. But grain is not just grain. There mm-hmm. are still differences being made. And you, Felicia, made a point that really stuck with me, which was vintages, even in whiskey, could very well start to mean something based on different growing conditions mm-hmm. from year to year. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious coming out of this difficult year that's been had and being hailed out in, in conditions and what have you, what what do you think might come from the grain that was harvested and sold this year? What might a 2023 vintage look like? I'm curious. So the one thing from a test, dating, test data perspective is our proteins were lower in our album. The one circle that survived, our proteins were a lot lower. Um, we know that that will give people more uh, product out of the still and potentially less flavor. Now, was it because oh, okay. we got um, more moisture, so it took some of that flavor away? Or was it because we did not put down that last round of fertilizer um, that most people do. So we bushled less, but potentially for the distilleries, they will be able to get more spirit out. We don't know. Mm, um, I'm anxious to see where this one goes and kind of test that out. We did the same thing in our specialty wheat. Didn't have the same kind of success and compared to someone who grew the exact same wheat um, just for the elevator. So I don't know. Um I do wonder if it's going to be a little bit more watered down, for lack of a better word. It's Elb- and it was Elbin. So Elbin is very spice forward and is, is can, can come across like cinnamon bear um, compared ah, to like a Hazlitt okay. or um, a Bono or Bono. Bono. I, think, I always I don't know if it's Bono or Bono. <laughs> Are we going to honor you too, or are we going to not? Um, <laughs> when you throw around these varietals, like they're the names of your children, you're just like, oh yeah, that one brings this to the table, and that, that one, one brings, brings this other table. thing to the table. I love it. It's so cool. And there's a and, and Bono's going away. They're discontinuing it. So oh, uh, there's I know Bono product would go away for years. <laughs> I don't like him. You two, you'll never go away. But. Um, <laughs> It's going away. So, so these wh- people why? have created their pla- fra- flavor profiles. So it's a proprietary uh, hybrid rye, and they're discontinuing uh, oh, it. Interesting. Yeah, and so 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 yeah. Well, so people have built on it are are losing that flavor. Yeah, which then people want to go to the open pollinated ryes, which aren't managed and controlled. They're like more of an heritage or an heirloom, but they're sure, a little bit harder sure. to grow, and you may not get as much bushel, but. From a farming perspective, not as great, but you're going to get maybe different flavors. It's, you know, more nuanced. Gotcha. So gotcha. all these things that we could study. <laughs> yes, Steph. <laughs> well, I, mean, I think at the end of the day, as a, as a consumer of whiskey, you'll always, 
when it comes down to batch form, like if you're buying either a small batch or a tape, you think small batch gets blended out a bit. Mm -hmm. But when you're buying a single barrel release, mm -hmm. and they know the, the dates on, you know, how long it aged, you can kind of go back and begin to maybe taste the difference. But again, to your other point, how much of it's grain and how much is it maturation? Because this year, while it was wet, it wasn't as hot in Colorado, the barrels aging in those conditions weren't under the same stress that they're normally yeah. under during the summer. Yeah. So now you've got two different factors playing and you've got the weather that impacted the grain, but you also have the weather impacting the maturation in the barrel and how did, how did the two of them play out? And then how do you as a consumer actually taste it? And if it's getting blended out with, you know, 50 barrels per, per batch, or is it one barrel or two barrels, you might be able to taste the difference a little bit more. So, so it, it, it seems like what we're discussing is a bit of a moving target, but it, but it also seems like it's worth us having these conversations because they might feed back into practices that might feed back into supporting individuals on a farm. Like I, I know on one hand we get very geeky about terroir and, and we did in our last interview, is it there, is it not there, how close can we get to it? But there are differences, right? Grain isn't just grain, as Felicia says. And so why shouldn't we have these conversations, right? Why shouldn't we get into like, is that the cask? Is that the, the metal warehouse in the Texas heat? Like, I, I just think that could be kind of fun. And, and the consistency of a big name brand isn't interesting to me. It isn't exciting to me. Um, I, I like getting in the weeds, right? I do too. And, and, and so I appreciate, I appreciate you two having that conversation. I know Independence Dave, I don't know if I talked about this last time, but Independence Dave is doing a study where they did the exact same booze spread mm. in, I think, I don't know how many barrels they filled. I think they got them filled all at the same place, all at the exact same time. And then they shipped them to different parts of the world to mature. Oh gosh. And Whoa. so this is something we learned at Bourbon Women's Association in 2022. So I don't know where they're at now, but they only allowed us to see Scotland versus Texas. And, you know, the circles, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, how they do their circle for flavor within the barrel and, like, the different um, compounds that come out. Okay. Completely different. Completely wow. different product coming out. Yeah. Right, right. An extractive process that is climate condition specific. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, I, I don't think you mentioned that in the okay. last interview. Yeah, super fun. Um, it, wow. Okay, try not to let my mind race. Yeah, no, you, don't let your brain explode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and then you throw no, brain to, on top of that. Like, it's just... Right? Yeah. Well, and then even grain and then <clears throat> what's going on in the air, right? Are we having smoky conditions with the fires? Right. Are we having other things? Um, even when you open air uh, ferment, where are you in the season, Mother Nature season, what pollens are floating in the air that actually get into the open air ferment? Or some of those things make a difference too. If you are fermenting that batch in the spring when you've got a lot of pollen in the air versus in the winter when there's no pollen in the air. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah <laughs> sorry this is you can tell jason's brain is racing when he just goes into one more just one. yeah uh-huh go on uh-huh oh my god my brain hurts as you lay in bed as you lay in bed tonight going ah how's that working ah so so as 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 two people who are are perpetually in the optimism business uh, while life, the universe, and everything sends trials and tribulations your way. Um, as you look towards 24, uh, you've obviously got a, a Gergen farm hat and you've obviously got a, a Whiskey Sister supply hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what do you see as you, as you look into that crystal ball for 2024? And how do you plan for 2024, given what you've seen in 23 and 22 and all these changing conditions. So I'll take Gergen if you take whiskey stuff. Um, so Gergen, for 100 or for, I'll take Gergen for 100. What is Gergen Farms in 2024? Um, what is a tornado? <laughs> let's not go. No. I'll take a tornado over a hailstorm. As long as it. Is, no, well, is that true? Remove the roof the of true? the homestead house so we can get a new roof. But other than that. Ah, insurance to the rescue again. Insurance to the rescue again. <laughs> um, so we are actually, um, you know, working with a larger network of farmers within Colorado to like we said earlier, to compensate for that and making sure our clients are, are good. But for Gergen Farms, um, we're going to get a little bit more hail insurance. Um, we're going to keep an eye on, you know, how much moisture we get this winter following our dads. Like if we get a lot of moisture in the winter, it's coming in the summer again. And there you go. Um, so, you know. What does a dry winter mean? Uh, you're going to be still be dry. You're just going to be drought. <laughs> Okay, so, so dry equals dry, dry wet dry equals, equals dry. I think I can yeah. remember this. Um, okay. And we were putting down a couple circles of Hazlitt, um, Hazlitt Rye, because people are really liking it. And we've got some contracted over with some Elbin and some Serafino as well. So we're looking at more varieties. Sorry, that's whiskey. But Gergen, a couple circles of wheat, a <laughs> couple circles of kidney beans. And then just learning about regenerative and starting to figure out how we can start to implement it, what pieces of the property we will implement with it first and um, working on our partnerships because it does affect some of the partnerships that we have built out there um, if we do this. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, our fertilizer company is not going to be happy. (laughs) Which is interesting because I think towards the tail end of our last interview, you were talking about even having tractors that can read nitrogen yep. and soil and how that affected how mm-hmm. you fertilized. Yep. And it seems like over the course of this summer and into this fall, you've taken a further step back mm-hmm. from fertilization. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we're going to, I think we're, we're going to still look at the variable rate. We're waiting on some yield maps to learn how it worked on the fields that survived. And, um, seeing if it really helped and then yeah one step further on that to potentially back it up even more um the regenerative soil testing is a lot more extensive and um we'll just see what comes from it but the point is is to only put on what the plant needs and what your soil needs and that's it 
not overdoing it. In your mention, which is wonderful to hear in terms of runoff and, and protecting the yeah. soil, et cetera, et cetera. When you're mentioning kidney beans here, are the kidney beans your canopy crop or do you have a canopy crop separate from your kidney beans? Um, the canopy crop uh, will be separate. We'll be putting down in next fall, we'll be probably putting down some cover crop. Okay. And going from there. But it's all okay. it's all still a lot to learn. And so we'll just learn gotcha. as we go. So it'll be a little bit more traditional this year. And then putting down rye and wheat may look different for 2024. Or will, okay. not may. It will look different. <laughs> Declarative statement. I like it. Yeah. Um, and then and then Stephanie, the, the, the Whiskey Sister Supply side for 24, how's that looking for you? Well, I'm very, very nervous because we're going to be in an El Nino, super El Nino year again. Oh boy. So <clears throat> for me, is how do we operate a business where our clients can trust and know that they'll still be able to get their grain 24-7 into the following year? So a couple of different things. We talked about it briefly, I think, earlier today, which was how do we do more geographic diversity mm, yeah. within the state of Colorado? Yeah. So. We know we're in a hail path, most likely the same hail path this next year. So where do we contract out um, and know we have farmers further than a, an hour away uh, so we can account for large storms that we weren't accounting for this year. And then the other exciting thing is because we have started to grow the network. We're learning, you know, we're meeting these regenerative farmers um, and our clients we're getting more and more contacts from outside of the state of Colorado uh, for grains that are grown in their home state. We have been able to now begin conversations and the goal will be to be delivering grain from a Utah farmer to our Utah distillery to our from our Kentucky farmer to our oh, wow. to distilleries in Kentucky, wow. Texas distilleries in Kentucky, or Texas farmers. So we're in the process right now of just expanding state by state our network of farmers that can serve distilleries. And, you know, in that, do they still um, apply the same kind of farming practices that we support sure. and that we know works well for a distiller? So, again, it's, again, a, a partnership and a collaboration together. This is what we need to grow to meet the needs. And we've been finding some really amazing farmers along the way in this journey so super excited oh that's so cool to be not just colorado grain based but multiple states with different growing seasons and <laughs> different issues and all the all the so you know hopefully we don't have four four states with hail out uh, and push, push and i into the insane asylum if that were to happen but um yeah, really excited about. So our passion is connecting. Uh, yeah. Our passion is connecting those distillers to farmers and vice versa, um, and giving the distillers some, you know, back to grain is just not grain, and they can go, oh, this is the kind of wheat varietal I want to put in, and this is the kind of corn varietal or rye varietal, and giving everybody options and creating that partnership. Um, so not only the farmers thrive, but the distilleries thrive as well. Oh, that, that's wonderful. Is it, as soon as you start talking collaborations, <laughs> right? Collaborations are absolutely where it's mm -hmm. at. And mm -hmm. if we're going to talk about the people who exist within this 
chain of industry, whether it's a large eye or a small eye, um, the people are, are hugely important in them. The practices with the environment are hugely mm-hmm. important. So I'm glad you're partnering with like-minded individuals. Yeah. Um, I, I have to say to both of you that I love speaking with you because the honesty and the transparency that you bring to this is exactly what we need. And if we're having this conversation and our listeners are going out and having these conversations and the producers from whom they're buying, if they're having conversations with them, that's what grows this meaningful work uh, that hopefully we're engaged in and, and, and seeing some successes. So I'm going to learn from the two of you. I'm going to put my optimist (laughs) hat on and I'm going to see the glass as half full. Uh, And I I wish you both continued success. And and I look forward to the next time uh, that we get to speak with you both. Yeah, agreed. Thank Thank you for having us on again. Ah, A pleasure. Cheers. Be well. Cheers to you too. Cheers. An absolute brilliant conversation with those two. I'm kicking myself now for a second time, uh, you know, not being able to be a, a part of it. But you know, the the whole time when when they're talking about, you know, dealing with Mother Nature, it almost mm-hmm. it almost sounded like uh, Mother Nature in law. <laughs> right, and the cover, you know, the relationship is it's it's a little strained. Right. If my mother-in-law is listening, I love my mother-in-law. She (laughs) treats me so well. If that's how the environment was, we'd all be in a better place. I don't have a (laughs) mother-in-law. Ah, there you go. So that's how I was able to tell that joke. Yeah. That's it. That's why you can get away with it. But, but, but in listening to them, right? You're out in the elements. You. You plant to the best of your ability, mm-hmm. you fertilize to the best of your ability, and then a hailstorm can destroy yeah. hundreds of acres. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would have a much harder time. You, you hear them talk about just <laughs> putting on their big girl pants, mm-hmm. right? Their, their words, right? You got to go back out into the field and you just do it. You just keep pushing forward. I have, uh, you know, I, I grew up in an agricultural community. I currently live in an agricultural community. I have never been a farmer. I have never been involved in agricultural production. And I absolutely take my hat off to those who go out day in and day out. Mm. And sometimes it works brilliantly. And sometimes <laughs> it breaks your soul. <laughs> Yeah. Power to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there you go. Th- th- thanks again to you. Um, yeah. To cheers. 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 Um, now they're, 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 they're a lovely, lovely couple of women and, and just speaking to them and seeing their passion and hearing their passion. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, as, as I suggested, as we were going into the interview, they don't want to move into mashing, you know, they or malting, I should say. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, they don't want to move into malting. They want to be growers. They want to be suppliers. They want relationships with other growers to help them supply. Yeah. Like it's it's really fascinating for me when when I meet somebody, 
who who knows what they want to do, who mm. sees what they want to achieve, and they don't have half an eye on that other thing. Yeah. They're laser focused yeah. on doing the thing they want to do. So we, there's no doubt we will be talking to them again in the future. Uh, they are they're going to get up there and mark what numbers of visits and Dave Broom <laughs> numbers of visits. <laughs> Uh, they are they're really doing something and and 24 for them could look nothing like 23 right. which looks nothing like 22 yeah. Yeah. what kind of world is that to be operating in so I, I i tip the cap to them i wish them nothing but the best and i'm excited for the next time and I, and i tell you what joshua we'll make sure the schedule allows you to join in the conversation the next time as well thank you commitment in 2023 to keep agriculture as part of the conversation. Just because the year turns anew doesn't mean we should be ignoring that conversation anymore. I think we need to con continue it because it's important stuff. So, And it's been great hearing from listeners who, who are enjoying hearing yeah, about it indeed. as yeah. well. Yep. That's you know, with, without the listeners, we don't really have much. Yeah. And so to have them join us in well, in this curiosity. We have each other. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to say any more at this point. <laughs> <laughs> if you and I spent the time we spend recording podcasts just for each other, we would have some big problems on our hands. I know. <laughs> and all the editing. And, oh, my gosh. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Can, can you do me a favor? Sure, anything for you. Can you wake up the paper boy? Because I got some big news. Done. Extra, extra, Riola, Bad, Life, Story, a Playboy, Penny, extra, 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 the timing of our recording and dropping of One Nation Under Whiskey has made it so that we we were able to be excited about the incoming Giving Tuesday, but we haven't had any opportunity to talk about the results of it. And unbelievably, mm -hmm. members of the nation raised $560,000 for charities <laughs> of their choosing in a single, not even 24-hour period. Yeah. Because our Giving Tuesday begins at 9 a.m. Eastern and concludes at 3 a.m. Eastern. It's only 18 hours yeah. of giving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And $560,000 got raised in 18 hours of giving. I, and, I, and again, I... Mind-boggling. I... I, I this is the point that I that I want to stress the most is that when we do these Giving Tuesday charity drives, the focus is that we want people to donate to the charities of their choosing. We're not asking them yeah. to give to our charity. Nope. And and I that's part of it that I that I really quite like. It it helps to empower people and maybe give a little more than they normally do and 
And so here we are. We're year six into it. And uh, this was the sixth, yeah, sixth year. And so five hundred and sixty thousand this year for a total of almost one point three million dollars in six years. We're just two guys and a gal running a co- company, <laughs> <laughs> and and the fact that we're able to just give people a little incentive to to, that's it. to shine a little light in the world, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm more proud of them than I am us, but I'm glad we could help facilitate it. For absolute sure, yeah. right? Yeah. Just like we don't have a podcast without the listeners, we don't have a Giving Tuesday without the givers. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, credit where credit's due. Yeah. Absolutely mind-boggling. You know, I've been speechless every year we've done it, and mm. we've only raised more and more and more and more money every single year. We did say over email to the nation that it will look different in 2024. Um, I've talked about it to you. You've talked about it to me. We've talked about it to some nation members. There's a lot of Giving Tuesday emails in the inbox. There's a lot of Giving Tuesday messages on social media. It's, It's great to be giving, I'm definitely getting a sense that it's becoming a bit overwhelming for people. And we need to be careful yeah. how we message around giving when a lot of people are, are in need of assistance in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess more on that as we uh, as we move on to 2024. Yeah, we are, we are still very much in the can you believe that shit? (laughs) We're still in that moment. A bit like last Friday's whiskey tasting. Like, can you believe that shit? So, so no, that really, really tremendous. And then one other little bit of news to get us out of here for, for us based members, uh, this Friday. So this episode drops on December 13 by this Friday, December 15, we will be wrapping up all nation shipping for the year. Yes. We, we take a traditional break the second half of December. Mm-hmm. The shippers uh, with whom we partner need to get their own product out the door. They are overwhelmed. They don't need the nation on the back of that. So we always have a, a traditional stopping date. This year's is December 15. Yeah. Any purchases made are always appreciated. Mm -hmm. They will ship the beginning of 2024. So full disclosure there, it will also be on the website. It will also be sent to people who make any orders. But uh, we're, we're, we're trying to get the wild turkeys out the door. Those were sold via lottery and successfully so. All of the Westland that sold out via lottery has now gone out. Uh, to all all of its homes. If it's not your home yet, it is in the last stages of its transit. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a tough time of year to A, be using our shippers, B, to be using UPS. Yeah, Very yeah, tough sure. time of year. Um, I just had it here. I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain, dear listener. Uh, without using any names, we had an attempted UPS delivery this morning Full disclosure, we're, just, we're recording this December 11. We had an attempted delivery with a required signature mm-hmm. at 5 a.m. local time. <laughs> Wake up. Knock, 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 knock. Wake up. Uh, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't want your shipment? You're okay, it's going back to the shipper. That's, that's it. Wow. Like, yeah, we had, we had a UPSR. literal... 
right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so time time to wrap that up. Um, it's it's been a, a good year, a fun year. The lotteries went over fantastically well. Some things are starting to show is sold out on the website, uh, which is kind of a nice way to round down the year. Mm-hmm. Um, our three most recent, our VDC, our Woodenville, and our Westward remain on the site. Um, and so make sure you get your, your hands on those. Before they sell out too. Listeners may remember, jeez, I don't know, last month, two months ago, three months ago, whenever it was, we spoke with uh, the wonderful uh, Felipe Schreiberg, um, who who does, well, he's got a record label slash independent bottling company called Rhythm and Booze. He's also a fantastic <laughs> musician. And uh, at the time of our conversation, he was actually meant to, to have samples to our house. And unfortunately, they, 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 uh, the whiskey ferry did not make its delivery. However, they did arrive just a, a week or two ago. And we've got two samples, and we're going to taste one that, that actually, this is, this is perfect timing, Jason. So uh, the one that we're going to taste is a 13-year-old blended malt from a single sherry butt. Bottled at 50, uh, 50% ABV. And just this morning, again, speaking of good timing, ah. just this morning I saw that uh, Felipe announced that this particular cask won best blended malt between 13 and 20 years of age in the World Whiskey Awards. So there wow. You go. There you go. Yeah, right? So we're, we're drinking some award-winning whiskey here. And so when we got the samples... Uh, and, and, you know, this is this would ring true whether you're um, in the industry and receiving samples or if you purchase a bottle, the label comes with a QR code and and that QR code leads you to songs that they've that associate themselves with the whiskey. So music paired with whiskey. And so as we're talking about this whiskey, I'm going to be popping in some of my favorite bits and bobs from this album, which is free frickin' nominal. Fee frickin' nominal? Just awesome. <laughs> Just <laughs> <laughs> It really is well done. And you as someone, you're a bit of a bluesman, a bit of a dirty bluesman. Uh, I know this is up your... <laughs> you're dirty yeah, I mean, until we got dirty. <laughs> dirty bluesman, I think. It is now. <laughs> actually just sent our our nephew he's just starting to get into jazz and we just uh, sent him a, a copy of kenny burrell's uh, midnight blue oh there you go and i was just reading it's a it's a nice transition piece from those who know blues guitar into jazz guitar ah, oh that's interesting oh, okay yeah. okay 
two very different things, but yeah, there's there are bridges for sure. For sure, right? yeah. 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 Um, for the listeners, as as always, there's good oil happening here. The fifty percent mm. has got it nice. Uh, it's edging my glass quite nicely. Got some slow legs on it. The it, the color is. I I would have you know refill sherry on that one. Yeah. You could also have talked me into it being a pretty active bourbon cask. It's it's that type of place. Yeah, I I would disagree with you there. I I think that. That there's a, a bit of red in that hue, which Ooh, which you, you, yeah. you never get a little red hue in uh, in an active bourbon. Not to this degree, not to this Ooh. degree. And, and keep in mind, dear listeners, uh, Jason's colorblind, so I'm the one who really has to judge color. <laughs> <laughs> red green colorblind, looking at a red whiskey in a green room. <laughs> It's just camouflage. You can't even tell you're holding on to anything. Um, holding it up to the window with uh, my lawn right behind it. So, are you sure you're not getting more green on this? So I, I can't tell. I can't tell if I'm getting a, a subtle peatiness, not not smokiness, but a subtle like earthiness to this via peat, or if there's that delicate sulfur that you'd sometimes get from those those heavier whiskeys like you'd get in a Kregeliki or a Mortlach or or something like that. What are you getting on the nose there? Yeah, mine feels a little more sherry cask driven sherry cask rather yeah, okay. than a, a potential peated or lightly peated grain. Yeah. It certainly builds on the palate as well. Yeah. There are the hints of it, uh, the tendrils, as we said, on the Othrusk, mm. uh, back when we bottled that last year. You know, there's there's tendrils of, of that kind of heavy, dark fruit, dark chocolate wafting through here. Yeah, but the palate, palate is where I'm getting, like, subtle campfire smoke like heather smoke yeah. you know like a floral smoke going on um yeah i could i could be talked into it do you think there could be a little rudvor in here yeah that there there definitely could be right um which for those of the you that don't know that you know rudvor is basically glen turret's uh peated spirit and and felipe had mentioned you know this is this is, you know, an Edrington blend. It, it is their oh, stock. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Like it's it's the Edrington blend parcel that we saw. Right. Yeah. It's all out it's in the connected world, to right? grouse and and all that. Yeah. So naked grouse at that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's really really nice. Yeah, mm. the sherry's quite soft on it. You know, those those tendril words we were using a minute ago. Mm -hmm. The sherry's just kind of softly gently framing it hmm there's um oh i get this note every now and again with those highland peated malts that that kind of that kind of edge towards the sweeter side that sort of like yellow fruit sweetness this kind of like dandelion jam have you ever had dandelion jam mm. have i asked you that before yeah no 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 yeah, my uh, my friend Kirsten, her mom used to make dandelion jam, Interesting. which was really nice. Oh, yeah, nice, nice, 
we'd call them English muffins. You'd call them crumpets with a little bit of uh, butter and some dandelion jam and magic. Ah, just for the record, uh, my my Scottish crumpets don't look like English muffins. What does a Scottish crumpet look like? Much, much larger. Okay. um, And then quite flat and then quite nicely aerated. So that would be like a... An English crumpet, yeah. English muffins have that kind of like overly floured dustiness to them. Exactly. I'm not really a fan of them. Yeah. Right. Crumpet's more oh, like a pancake, yeah. whereas I think an English muffin is more like yeah, a scone that's, gone that's wrong. A good point. Scone that, raised on the wrong side of the tracks. In crumpets, you wouldn't cut in half, right? Oh, you could, well, oh, no, 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 not across no. the equator. Yeah, no, 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 no. You wouldn't no. split them in two. Right, where an English muffin you would. You kind of need to split yeah. them in oh, two. Oh, man, I, I I, would roll the shit out of my Scottish crumpets. My nana would make crumpets. Oh, oh they were cracking. Yeah. Miss that old broad. Never said that when she was alive, but, you know, it's easier <laughs> to miss her when she's dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, like, we don't need to know what you called her when she was alive. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, man. So let me ask you. So we're talking subtle sherry. We're talking Mm -hmm. subtle smokiness of of some variety. Uh What are you getting? Any any fruitiness coming through? I'm getting an increasing brightness on the nose of it. Yeah. And and it's interesting. And and listen... In listening to you, it almost sounds like we're damning with faint praise. No. Which is subtle sherry, subtle peat, you know, subtle fruit. But it feels in balance, right? That's the aspect that I like about it is not one of them is jumping up and, and punching me across the mouth. Yeah. It's more of a, hey, if you look in this corner, here's what you'll find. If you look in that corner over there, mm-hmm. you're going to find something else. But the room itself really fits, really works. It's a it's a cracking sipper. <laughs> mm. You talk about pouring something to read the the Stark or Wisniewski books. Like you could pour that and sip, right. sip that with the books, easy peasy. Yeah, there's this this. I'm, I see. I'm not attracted. I shouldn't say I'm not attracted to, but I'm. My palate isn't finding the 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 fruitiness. It's really glomming onto this earthy quality and that subtle delicate sulfur note on the nose which which i love like we were talking you know not not farts we're talking like struck match in the next room kind of smell that's dissipated a bit it's got a bit more herbaceous on the nose so it's all for me herbaceous and earthy and just like you kind of want to sink into your seat while you sip this yeah I do have some stone fruit qualities to the front of the palate. Okay. But as you go through the act of swallowing and then actually not having liquid in the mouth, mm. all of the peat concentrates on the back of the palate. Yeah. And then it's hard to keep the white yeah. stone fruits or the stone fruits to the front of the palate. It really almost feels like it's a backdraft, right? That movie, gosh, was that the 90s backdraft? It was the 90s. I think it was 91. 91 or 92. Was that so, a Baldwin in there? Yeah, it was Alec Baldwin. And I think uh, Kevin Costner. Was Kevin Costner in it? Oh, interesting. But that doesn't come to mind. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it doesn't come to mind. I put a spell on you. Because of my
IMDb has us both wrong. So there is a a Baldwin in it, but it's William Baldwin. And instead of Kevin Costner, it was Kurt Russell. Okay. How are we both wrong when I said a Baldwin brother? Oh, I, I thought I thought you had said is Baldwin in it, and of course, you know when it comes to the Baldwin uh, brothers, Alec is the one that comes to mind. Definitely Steven. not Stephen. No, no one thinks of Stephen. Who thinks of Stephen? Unusual Suspects fans. Oh, sorry. Oh, is William the who's the lesser of all the Baldwins? <laughs> William. Oh, but I like him. I like him. I think he's the most handsome said of all the nobody Baldwins. Ever. No, I like him. Mrs. Baldwin never even said that. <laughs> but Donald Sutherland was in it. Scott Glenn was in it. Is it 1991? It's 91. Ah, well done. Yeah. Well done. There you go. Ron Howard. I, I feel happy that. I got the decade. <laughs> I could have been talked into 88 just as easily. I'll tell you, <sighs> you know, I've I've slipped in, and listeners will, will have heard it along the way, but I, again, I, I, I've slipped in some of the music that did i say something jason um i've i've slipped in some of the <laughs> say it one more time <laughs> i <laughs> i inserted some of the oh, music <laughs> uh, that oh, goes Jiminy along christmas what's going on that goes along with this whiskey and i've got to tell you that's a nice pairing that's a Fantastic. really nice pairing yeah, it's such an interesting proposition. I, I, I may have, I may have said this during the interview. Or I may have thought it during the interview, or it, it might have reached the cutting room floor from the interview. Who the heck knows? Mm-hmm. But but back in the in the days of good Scotch drink, uh, my very dear friend, uh, young Jim, would write a monthly piece. This is your blog, would, Good Scotch Drink. For, yeah, for yeah, those yeah. that don't yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Who, <laughs> come on, like nobody knows that. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Uh, I'm being Good facetious. I do not expect any listener to know what the hell I'm talking about. Um, but young Jim would come on once a month and he would work on a dram with a book, with a song, or mm-hmm. a dram with mm-hmm. a short story, with a song. And and he really was trying to bring those kind of sensory components together. And so I, I absolutely appreciate well, what Felipe and Rhythm and Booze are trying to do yeah. uh, with these releases. Um yeah, I wish them the the best of luck with it. Congratulations on the the World Whiskey Award uh, for the blended malt. Yeah, definitely a quality sipper, and, oh, and as you rightly say, goes with the music fantastically well. And I've got myself a winter soundtrack. <laughs> I tell you, if if uh, an award should go to a whiskey where the qualification is you want to keep returning to it. Mm-hmm. Well done. Here we go. Really nice. Yep. Which which we've said right in the, in the, the the single cast blended malts we've put out to the nation. Yeah. Right. What what have they all had in common? Is they're just absolute screaming drinkers. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. And anyone who wants to sit around and say like ah, but it's a blended malt and what are the va- what's the value of blended malt and I like single malts and it's like 
just drink it. You just, just have it. a lovely time getting it over, <laughs> over your throat. That's that's rule number one of drinking. <sighs> Indeed. Delightful. Cheers. Yeah, cheers to that. Listen, uh, we've got to get out of here. We we do have mail to get to. We're not getting to that today. But I, I want to, A, thank the Unmocked Sisters again. Thank Felipe Absolutely. once thank more. You. Um, thank and, you. And just a reminder that come December 27, that will be our year in review episode. That'll be our closer where we're going to discuss our favorite whiskey of the year our favorite SCN bottling of the year, maybe favorite interview, and, and we'll have some other surprises as well. So I've been thinking about all three. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's tough. I, I tell you, picking the favorite episode is is the hardest of the bunch because we've we've never put out an episode that I haven't liked. Yeah. And, and we haven't interviewed anybody that I haven't wanted to support. Even mm-hmm. if we've never met them known them going into the interview have come out saying i believe in what you're doing this is tremendous power to you and so to look back on a year and go yeah that's the one that stands above the rest (laughs) that's tough that's really tough yeah yeah well there we go it's the hard work that we do jason it is it is if anybody thinks this is easy it's not (laughs) all right well uh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna say one last thanks and I, we kind of started with this. I think you and your family, I think Jess, I think Swede Scott, I think the Nolans, I think all of my bandmates and my friends and family and just everybody who's come out to to make my 50th birthday party celebration really far better than I could have ever hoped. Like, really, I'm still reeling from it. So, yeah. It was far better than you deserved. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Haida did amazing. She was the hostess with the mostess. And there is no doubt about that. Haida's the best. There we she go. She was a firecracker. There we go. We end with that. Haida being a firecracker. <laughs> <laughs> click, click in honor of Haida. <laughs> click, click. <laughs> Now recording. Check, check, check. One, two, one, two. Okay. Awesome. Check. Are you on a quick time or are you fixed? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just doing quick time. And it's going in through your road? It's going in through my road. And out through your ears? No, through my ears. And through, and through one door. Innuendo and out the other. And through the outdoor. Led Zeppelin. Okay, that's a self-evident point, moving on. <laughs> you ready? <laughs> yes, sir, looking at you. That was the one they used, they put paper, a paper bag over the cover. Uh, wasn't that Coda? No, Coda, no. It was in through, in, in through one door out the other. 
And through the outdoor? And through the outdoor. Sorry. I keep on getting I keep on getting it mixed up with the Peter Sagan innuendo out the other book. <laughs> yeah, look. In through the outdoor covers. It's a paper bag. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I, I in my brain, that's the cover for Coda. Oh. Oh, Coda's the one that it just, I think it just says C-O-D-A across mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. And like a typographic font. Yeah, yeah. Like a, like a long O, everything is sort of long. Yeah. Yep. I get that a lot. 